Yo, and welcome to the 53rd episode of Lake of Rage, a Pokemon trading card game podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Clementi, aka Mellow underscore Magikarp, and I'm joined today by a very special temporary guest host. Joining us for the very first time, we have TPCI caster, as well as two times top 16 world placer, Freya Pierce. Hello, thank you for having me on. <laughs> thank you for being on. So we got a very special episode for you today. Because it's Freya's first time on the podcast, we're going to get to know her a little bit better with some of those rapid strike questions. Then we're going to get into her history in the Pokemon trading card game, as well as talk a little bit about improving as a player, as someone who has had quite a bit of success in some of the largest tournaments in the world. I think there is a lot to learn. At the very least, I have a lot of questions because uh, my world's placement did not go <laughs> quite so well. So I feel like there's a lot I can get out of it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, with any luck, we can get you there for next time, right? <laughs> that's that's the hope. That's hope. Uh, when I'm in London, you'll see me in the top sixteen, top eight. The dream. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we got the no dream big. You go for the win. You gotta win go the whole the thing. Oh no! <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's, that's that's so much pressure. Yeah. Nah, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, are you ready to get into those rapid strike questions? I'm so ready. Hit me up. Perfect. Uh, as a refresher, because it's been a while since we've done them, you will have 60 seconds to answer as many of the questions as you can. No explanations. <laughs> Just uh, okay. straight off the dome. Yeah. The uh, least successful person we've had doing these spent almost the entire minute trying to explain one single question. <laughs> okay. You, I won't do that. <laughs> perfect. You can always come back after if you're like, oh, I want to explain that one or something like that. Okay, yeah. Sure, sure thing. All right. Question number one. Do you prefer winter or summer? Uh, summer, generally. What's your favorite snack? Um, uh, potato chips. Who's your favorite bug-type Pokemon? Sizzle. Favorite deck you've ever played? Uh, Mega Rayquaza. Would you rather be late or be early? Uh, I'd early. What's your favorite emoji to use? Um, probably like the laughing, crying emoji with one that's like tilted. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite TCG accomplishment? Uh, the uh, ninth for uh, uh, Worlds 2016. Toppings on your perfect pizza. Um, it, right now actually, I'm just favoring a plain margarita, honestly, <laughs> just like cheese and tomato. What color sleeves do you use? Uh, usually purple is my favorite color. Good choice. Cats or dogs? Yeah. Cats, easy. Juniper, sycamore, oak, rowan, or magnolia? <sighs> Juniper. Favorite subject in school. Uh, probably uh, computer science. Favorite ice, whatever. Favorite ice to go yeah. to. Oh, easy peach. One of my favorite drinks. <laughs> and that is time. How, how many did I get? You got thirteen. That's pretty good. That is a, a D, but that's fine. <laughs> but does a D? What? <laughs> thirteen out of twenty. That's sixty-five percent. It's passing. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I was as a, as a teacher. I was got to frame it in that way. So it's like, eh. right, of course. Yeah. Uh, we've never actually had anyone get all twenty. That's I think impossible. I don't actually know. Yeah, unless you were, like literally, you have to like answer it as soon as like you've asked the question, kind of thing. <laughs> right. Then there's there's a difference between like no thought and just like an automatic answer. It's like you didn't yeah. actually think about this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I got to ask about the chips. Favorite chips. flavor. Um, favorite flavor. Okay. I might get some flack for this, but honestly, I just like plain salted uh, chips. Like, I I just love, I like salty foods generally. I think it comes from my mum. She always used, like, salt salt food a lot when she was cooking. And, like, um, so we'll get into this if it comes up later. But 
actually by by birth i'm british and brazilian Mm -hmm. so my mum's side of the family is all like brazilian and yeah like um i guess yeah i'm just used to my mum's cooking being like quite salty so i my i just like salty foods generally no i love it i'm all for that for sure is this like a salt and vinegar or is this like a straight like salt it's just 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 plain salt although i used to not like salt and vinegar now i can appreciate it a bit more like it's just but it wouldn't necessarily be my go-to that's definitely one of those flavors that, like as a little kid it was all like mm, no this is terrible and now yeah. as an adult i'm like mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, this is fine I think, what's, I think what's nice as well is like with plain salted uh, chips you really get to taste the flavor of the potato right that's like the mm-hmm. main thing so like if you get some of those like the fancy of higher end chip brands you can think oh th- damn that's like a really nice fried potato <laughs> i guess <laughs> and then i gotta ask about mega ray why mega, mega ray, ray? Uh, because that deck basically took me through the entire like 2017 season that was my <laughs> top my top 32 at the at the first ever latin american internationals mm-hmm. and my top 16 at worlds that same year in 2017 both mega ray so yeah and it's just a deck that i really knew inside and out it really fit my general preferred play style very well and yeah i had a lot of success with it so it's always an easy choice night march would have been my second because that was the deck i did well with in 2016 but i think mega ray yeah i just i really gelled with that deck a lot so you're someone who's always gravitated towards those like big aggro take Oko's kind of decks. It's it's kind of like that, but it's also like a game. It's the kind of decks where it's very easy to kind of it's where the focus is focusing on a single game plan and then mitigating for your loss conditions rather than trying to account for lots of different options that will make you win in every scenario. It's kind of I prefer having a focused game plan to narrow in on. I find I focus better and make less misplays when I have that. <laughs> so. When you're picking a deck, I guess, well, let's get into your history as a player, actually, before we yeah, sure. do into other stuff. So you mentioned the yeah. Mega Ray, you mentioned the Night March, but like, how long have you been playing the game and how'd you get into it? Right. So um, I've been playing, like, I've known about the game since base set. I'm a lifelong Pokemon fan, basically, right? Mm-hmm. The um, I got into, as a to, for the series as a whole, um, I remember our family was on holiday in Florida and my we were, we were in Disneyland, right? And the cute the lines for the rides are very long. So my mum got me and my sister like a, a pair of Game Boy Colors and, a, and Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue to like keep us busy in the lines, essentially. Yep. And, uh, and a love for Pokemon or whatever. And then when we got back home to the UK, we found out Pokemon cards were a thing and my sister and I got those. We played together. And... Yeah, something that's always held my interest, um, you know, on and off to some degree, especially with the video games. But with the trading card game competitively, that started in 2011 when I started going to this like, independent video game and card game store. And I, I made friends with one of the staff members there. And I, so at one point, I see him open packs of Pokemon cards. And I think, hold on, I remember this. <laughs> and uh, then a couple of other friends of mine get into it as well. And then we found out there's like tournaments um, nearby. I think there was a state championships going on in Nottingham, which wasn't too far from where I was living at the time uh, in Shrewsbury, which is kind of like the middle of Englandish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went up to Nottingham States, didn't do very well. I ended up playing like Gothitelle, but without Tropical Beach, which you kind of needed <laughs> at the time to make the deck good. So I went like 2-4, but I had a great time, made a bunch of friends, and then I just carried on going to tournaments ever since then. So, and it's kind of gone from there. So I guess I also want to, because you mentioned the red and blue part, which means we're probably about the same age, which means, <laughs> did you do the same thing where you quit in middle school and like most of, if not all of high school for Pokemon? So yes and no. I wasn't like heavily into playing the card game during that time, but mainly because I only played with my sister and like she was busy doing other stuff. But mm-hmm. I never stopped playing the video games. So you know, and that was something I kind of uh, just had to myself. So I, I didn't necessarily quit in that sense. But I was, it's it's, it's kind of framing as quitting is a bit weird and different, right? Because I never really uh, had. I never took my cards to school, for example. Mm-hmm. That was the I think the big thing for me. I only I only really ever played with, with my sister um, and a couple of other friends at home, and it was never really a school thing for me. That was a big difference, I think. Okay. 
That makes sense. So you got into it 2011 as far as like yes. competitive. You jumped in immediately, yes. it sounds like competitive. Uh, it, 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 yeah, it was kind of yeah a few months after sort of rediscovering through like the store I went to. Yeah, I went to this uh, tournament with a, a with with a friend, one of the people who was you know into already kind of semi aware of competitive as well, mm -hmm. and uh, went to so that was yeah the beginning of the 2011 to 2012 season. I was I think that was like around about November time ish, and then decided to go to nationals that year as well. Um, it did I actually did okay. I played like Terrakion with Mewtwo, and I think I ended up going like four three or something like that. Um, it was or it might have been five two. I, I can't remember. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just kept going to you know other nationals and you know regionals or whatever battle roads that we were thinking at the time. Um, since then, and then yeah, never really had any great results. Nothing great enough to like get to worlds, for example. Um, that changed in 2015. I actually at this point. I was out. I was actually in university, and I had some money um, from. You know, yeah, I was out of university. In fact, so I mm -hmm. actually had some income from like jobs and stuff. So I was actually able, actually able to take flights to places. So I went to Boston Worlds in the 2015. That was my first ever World Championships, and in that world, I was the. I played Night March that world as well because it was still a thing at the time. Obviously, list slightly different, and I ended up being the day one player from the UK that was closest to making day two but didn't quite make it. I think I was off I was off by one match point or mm -hmm. something like that. I only had one loss, but it was I was X one two, which was yeah, just one match point short from getting in. Um Yeah, for those who couple... haven't been to Worlds before, because this is something I had to learn the first one I went to. Losses or ties are essentially losses with the way that the system into day two works. Yeah, because yeah, uh, you need a specific amount of match points to make it through. And uh, if you get three ties, that's fine, because then it's like equivalent to a win. But like two ties essentially might as well be a loss because of the way the numbers work with the cutoff. So yep. yeah, and then and then there were, there were a couple of players who had day two straight up invites and they played in day two, but they didn't do too well. And um, and then, yeah, the 2016 season somehow ended up being like a bit of a breakout. I managed to qualify for Worlds again. I had a few decent regional finishes in the UK. Um like a few top top eights, maybe a top four as well. Um, mm -hmm. no, no wins. I, I don't think it, I've I've not won anything bigger than a league cup or like a or like a city uh, uh, city championship back when those were a thing. Um, but somehow I, I, mean, I made you, it through. You say that like top eighting a regional is not <laughs> not still very good. I, I, I guess, but this was back when regionals were a lot smaller, right? It was like um. It wasn't was like in the US where regionals are huge back then. The regionals were constrained to each country. So like UK had its own regionals. Germany had its own regionals, stuff like that. So it was a little bit different. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I guess it was still decent enough. Um, so <laughs> and then, yeah, so qualified for day one of Worlds uh, 2016. Uh, got through day one with like pretty, a pretty bog standard night march list. And then for day two of Worlds that year, I ended up playing something really wacky, which was still Night March. But mm -hmm. how familiar are you with the Night March deck? That was just before you started from what we were talking about before, right? Yeah, I'm really only familiar with Night March as far as like an expanded deck. Not so okay, much the right. what was good back then. Okay, so the list I played for day two was something that um, a friend of mine, Tamal Cameron, came up with and I kind of pitched in a few ideas for. It was essentially a night march list built specifically to never lose to the mirror so we ended up cutting the puzzles of time and a few other things and to we fit in like a, a tiny we, we increased the basic energy count and we fit in a tiny package of like latio cx to get cheat steel wins with a donk because you could that, that was the one that could attack going first on your first turn mm -hmm. and also like seismitoe dx so that late game you could like quaking punch n and win against the mirror that way and then I proceeded to not face a single night march in day two of worlds. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Sorry, are you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, was this the... Because, like, Night March has come and gone between, like, the BDIF got the, like, everyone wants to beat it versus, like, it's a good deck, but it's no longer that tier S thing. So at this point, was it the, like, everyone's playing Night March or was it like, oh, it's just a good deck? It yes. was one of the tier one options. Okay. There was a few different tier one options because that was some, um, like, Talonflame Greninja was, like, the breakout deck of that World Championships. So that was a good choice. There was, also, there was also a lot of people playing, like, um, uh, Water Box, um, which was, like, a bunch of different Water EXs played with Max Elixir, and that was probably the deck I faced the most day tour worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was some. Um, God, actually, one of my really crazy matches that world was but the the last round. Uh, this was the winning in for top eight. Uh, I was up against uh, Frank Diaz, and we I it, we were one game apiece with not much time left in game three. So like he says to me, "Look, we, we, we're going to play like lightning fast. We want one of us to win worlds," which was absolutely true. <laughs> and so and so yeah, we're both playing super fast, doing our moves, and then at one point he shamans for. To, to, to does play Shaman the X to does the setup ability to draw some cards and plays a uh, Juniper straight afterwards to discard his hand and uh, draw seven. But when he discarded his hand, he kind of fanned his hand out a little bit over his discard pile. I noticed he drew one card too many, so I called a judge. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know how I spotted this at the time. Looking back, I was thinking, how on earth did I even see that? But um, a judge ended up getting called over because of it, and he got a uh, one prize penalty from it. And then literally on the last turn of time, I was able to win um, and get a good enough record to make it into top eight in theory mm-hmm. and then i was the only person to bobble top cut that year i was the only 5-1-1 to miss top eight and it still stings even six years later which uh i know i should be happy about the fact that it was a top <laughs> finish but to be so close and to miss out on resistance yeah it, it's never gonna it's always gonna sting i think no there's always that plus for the thing that we'll never have in official tournaments i don't think but the asymmetrical cut would be yeah that would that would be would be cool if that was a thing but i don't know if that would ever get implemented somehow <laughs> no it's I don't, I don't know it'd be like really nice right but it'd be so complex to actually be like mm, okay so we're gonna have nine in this tournament in top cut yeah. and then you have to have the buys and then well it's only one person's gonna play and i don't think they want to deal with it even though it's it just sucks you can't control your own resistance right no 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 of course uh, it's, it's funny because like day one of day uh oh, sorry round one of day two i actually remember i played against uh todd Reklev actually but this was before he had his like breakout performance at the mm-hmm. internationals um he was playing like a zygod vileplume thing and that was my one tie of um of day two the rest were all wins and then my one loss was to cody walinski who was playing greninja and ended up going on to finish second was so, this so greninja finished second was this the omega Odno year yes that was the omega Odno one yeah be- beating cody in the finals okay did you have a way to yeah. beat omega Odno? did night march have a good matchup i don't so I had, I was trying to think here. I think Tamao and I talked about this afterwards because obviously we wanted to keep up with the deck. Yeah. I think that I had I had a basic psychic energy, which I think helped a little bit. But I also had, I played more Muse of like like the basic Muse that copied attacks on the field. Oh, than the Fates Collide Muse, yeah. Yeah, the Fates Collide Muse, yeah. So in theory, that could have made me more vulnerable to like the sniping, I guess. It's honestly really hard to tell. I think it probably would have been slightly the same or mostly the same as other like march decks maybe if not maybe slightly worse but i never actually played it out so it's a kind of uh yeah almost impossible to say okay that's always a that's always a fun like thing to think about when you see that rogue deck come up that you never hit and you're like could i could i have beaten this like i wasn't prepared yeah. for it but could i have done it <laughs> yeah no i had the same thought yeah it's uh, something i've theorized about um every now and then and i think i did i put, remember putting like more thought into it at some point in the past and i like, coming to like a better conclusion but i'm just trying to like think back to what i was thinking then and sort of trying to you know assemble logic as to 
whether oh no there was one thing that definitely helped i played muscle bands instead of fighting fury belts so mm. but, and i think mega ordinary had like 220 hp so maths wise that worked out a bit more favorably they would have needed one less night marcher to knock stuff out so there was that i guess going in my favor that was the one thing i think that i recall that maybe might have helped but then yeah extra muse it's on balance it's probably hard to say yeah it's one that like you'd have to actually play it out see how you draw etc but yeah, it sounds like it would have been a, a pretty solid matchup not just like a straight auto loss or auto win i don't think it would no i don't think it would have been auto loss though. i mean night march doesn't really have any auto losses <laughs> so it was just kind of uh I, I guess maybe item lock but even then if you just get lucky and hit your supporters you can still discard enough night marches to KO stuff so yeah from my understanding of that format because like in theory seismitoad was supposed to kill like just absolutely destroy you right quake and punch KOs yeah. joltic and then you can't use any of your items you can't special charge you can't get anything back and yet somehow night march had a fine matchup not like a great matchup but like an acceptable matchup into toad yeah it, it was it was winnable yeah i mean it wasn't ideal necessarily but again just by virtue of how quickly you set up big damage in the early turns you can you could just like ko a big ex turn turn one or turn two right and then you're in such a good position so then going into the what 2016 season was the one after that yeah the 2016 to 2017 one yeah how does it feel you came so close in worlds you know everything's like okay is this the year i'm gonna absolutely pop off i'm gonna you know destroy everything or you just kind of like like how are you feeling after that i was i definitely felt more confident in my abilities as a player than i had done at any previous point because that was my first time i really had a result i thought to myself oh you know bloody hell i actually have a thing here right this is like you know people know about this and uh that was definitely a confidence booster Mm -hmm. i think um it didn't translate superbly well into the rest of the year, unfortunately. I think um, life stuff came up, I guess, and I didn't go to quite as many regionals as I would have liked. I still went to enough to qualify for Worlds again, but mm-hmm. yeah, other stuff got in the way, and uh, I uh, it was similar to like 2016. I had like a, enough good regionals finishes with like top eights and top fours and stuff to make it into Worlds, but not as like a day two player or anything like that. So how'd that one go for you? Uh, so that was uh, the year I played uh, Mega Rayquaza, which of course uh, mentioned earlier is my favorite deck. And that year I didn't do anything crazy between the days. I played the same list day one, I played the same list day two. And um, that was the first time I actually got featured on the live stream oh, cool. for Worlds. Cause, so in uh, 2016, I was on backup for one game, but didn't get featured. But then in 2017 for day one, yeah, I was uh, on the stream playing against uh, Vespiquen, <laughs> which was meant to be a horrendous matchup for mega ray but somehow i won that 2-0 um it should uh i, I can send you a link to the video after if you want to see it because it, it was a very very fun match um and then i got streamed again for the round after playing against ryan Sablehouse. um he was playing um he was playing uh was it uh some kind it was one of the garb it might have been like espion garb yeah um that sounds then, right yeah and then that didn't go so well unfortunately i kind of played too many items early on because i was um forced to to try and actually dig for energy and then stuff that shouldn't work out the right way and then i won the round afterwards and uh, got through to day two at which point i managed to somehow dodge all the pseudowoodos um <laughs> and and beat the one deck that had a pseudowoodo which i did play against which is like a um a vika vault deck i was playing pseudowoodo and ended up finishing yeah like i think x one two or x two one or something like that but whatever was it, i came 15th at the end basically so again top 16 um sort of bubbling into top 16 rather than bubbling out of top eight in that instance uh playing against uh, sam huff in the last round who unfortunately yeah did actually um because we tied the last round that was it and we actually it was funny because he ended up bubbling out of top 16 because of uh that result because he didn't want because we didn't had just quite not enough time to play it out Mm -hmm. and then i worked out if i had won uh that last round against sam huff i actually technically would have bubbled out of top 
eight again because I would have <laughs> finished. I would have finished tenth, and there were like three people on like a six-two record who who, and one of them ended up actually making it. But I would have, uh, yeah, I would have bubbled out in tenth, which is pretty funny. Oh no! So you've just been living on that bubble. It sounds like for worlds at least, yeah. So I got to ask about uh, you played Mega Ray. That's a yes. whole year. It sounds like, or almost was, a whole year. Um, Almost whole yeah. I think it was something I switched to like halfway throughout the season when I realized, hold on, this is a deck I think I could do really well with, and that's when uh, yeah I got the good the that's the same year I got the really good LEIC result. I got the top thirty two, which was uh, uh, I guess it was the first time I got a, a really good result outside of Worlds, like a, in a, a cash finish as it were. So mm-hmm. yeah, that that was pretty nice, and then yeah, and a few other good regionals performances with that. Um, oh, that was also the year if I recall, oh, was that last year? It was. One of those two years, I also really favored playing Turbo Dark and Expanded because we had a few Expanded regionals in the UK, and that was a deck I absolutely loved as well. Kind of similar concept, right? Just build up to big damage and KO stuff. Um, yeah, and I and I think I think that year I actually got all the way to a, a finals of a regional. That was it with Turbo Dark, and then unfortunately lost in the finals. Wow, what do you think about Expanded? And just as a quick, like maybe not the current format, but like it seems like Expanded is North American only, and I don't yeah. know why. So, what are your thoughts? Do you wish you had more? Uh, yeah, honestly, I kind of thought the exact same recently, and it makes it really sad because Expanded is a great fun format. I really enjoy playing it. I think there's a lot of like, um, I think they've banned now a lot of the cards that made that format unfun. And I think now that what's left, generally speaking, is a pretty fun and diverse format. I kind of kind of waits mm-hmm. to be cracked open a little bit. Um, I'm sure someone will probably find some card combination that ruins everything again before long <laughs> because Expanded does have that tendency. But um, when uh, lockdown first started up. And uh, the, there were tournaments going on. I remember there was a few of the online tournaments that I joined, and I played a lot of uh, Mewtwo and Mew, like the expanded version, which, I mean, that deck is insane in expanded because you have so many different like, EXs and GXs to pick from. Oh, yeah. And uh, there you have a lot of, like, variety of like sort of variety in choosing what you want to, you know, build into your list. Um, and I remember playing that format and thinking, yeah, this is honestly healthier than standard right now because uh, at the time standard was just uh, standard's ADPZ. bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, like standard's a much better place now than it was back then, honestly. But um, yeah, there was. Uh, I remember the format at standard at the time being okay, but not amazing, and expanded being having a lot more variety. So yeah, absolutely. I wish there was more expanded stuff in Europe. I don't understand why there isn't. I guess they're worried about people not having access to the cards here as much for some reason. But hmm. it's yeah, I never quite understood it myself. I also have to thank you explaining the sword and shield format. That is the nicest I've ever heard someone say where it's like, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I try to be kind where possible <laughs> because I, I think honestly it's a matter of like perspective because um, I played in, in 2015 nationals, which was toad shaman format. Mm-hmm. So relatively speaking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's uh, you, you lived the, it could be worse part of that. It, I, I did. Yeah, I did indeed. <laughs> So when you're playing Mega Ray for like half a season and you're like, yeah. I like this deck and I can do well with it. You also mentioned like, oh, life kind of kept me a little busier than I would have liked. Was part of sticking to Mega Ray just like I'm familiar with it and I know how to play it? Or was it constantly like every regional you went to is just like, this is just the best deck, I think. So a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. Mm-hmm. It was the deck that I think I had the most likely chance of doing well with myself. And I think that's something that's important to recognize for people. The deck that might necessarily be the best play in a vacuum isn't necessarily the best thing for like you to play. Because if you're going to play a deck that might be the best deck, but you're like not well practiced with it, you don't know it as well, you're more likely to make mistakes, you're more likely to mess up with it, and therefore you're less likely to do well. Um, as long as the deck has some level of competitive viability, it's not some, you know, it is not a theme deck, basically. <laughs> um, I think you're better served playing a deck that maybe like slightly under tier one, or maybe like tier 1.5 or 2, um, then you would be playing 
what's objectively the best deck, and then but then not knowing how to play it well. Um, obviously, it's even better if you know how to play the best deck and play that perfectly. But uh, maybe you know the playstyle just doesn't gel with you, or maybe there's just something about the, the deck sequencing that does doesn't make sense, or you know, for whatever reason you can't get to grips with like the top tier, the top deck. So in that case, going for a deck that maybe slightly above, below what's the top deck in a vacuum, but that you understand really well and is still very good might be a better choice. And that's kind of my attitude, generally speaking, going into uh, most tournaments is to pick the deck that I think I personally will do best with rather than mm-hmm. necessarily the objectively best deck. I think that's great advice, especially in this current format of, you know, Mew is just the BDIF, right? And everyone's like, mm-hmm. Mew's the best deck, Mew's the best deck, Mew's the best deck. But it is one where you have to know how to play it because everyone yes. has tested against it. Everyone knows their matchup into it. And so if you don't know what you're doing, it suddenly becomes a bit of an issue because it's like, well, my opponent knows how to beat me and I don't really realize how to beat them. It's yeah, a- pretty much. Although it's funny you mentioned because Mew is kind of one of those decks where you just like draw a lot of cards and build up <laughs> to like, you know, a big smashing attack, right? So actually it, it fits with what I prefer to play pretty well. <laughs> the only problem is, and this is a complete out of left field, but I have been without my UK passport since September of last year because of bureaucratic nightmares involving oh, my no. British Brazilian dual citizenship and my name change. Mm-hmm. So I've been stuck in, because I moved to Denmark at the end of 2020 in December, and I've basically been like stuck here because I haven't been able to go anywhere because my UK passport is uh, in limbo. Thankfully, I literally just got a shipping notification today. I should be getting it tomorrow <laughs> so I can actually go places again. <laughs> That's exciting. Are you going to be at EUIC yes. or...? Um, unfortunately not because it was kind of, I found out about the dates a little bit too last minute and I actually already have something planned that weekend. Uh, also, uh, I have not been asked to uh, stream it as far as I'm aware. I don't know if they have any streaming plans at all, but, uh, I've not, you know, heard anything at least. So I can only assume either they have no stream or that, you know, that, that someone else will be streaming it. That's fair. And that's one of those things yeah. too, where even if as far as competing, competing goes, I assume you saw the terrible way that everything seemed to have been handled as far as registration goes yeah that's honestly a bit disappointing and i think that it's fair to say that you know that's been acknowledged to some extent with like losing extra slots and all that Mm -hmm. um but i I think that i think no one could deny that could have been handled a lot better i think and i hope that they learn from this and don't repeat the same mistake in future so post 2016 worlds did you like kind of start playing a little bit less or like how the rest of those seasons go uh, post 2016 or 2017 or 2017 yeah okay uh yeah so so post the last world i did right so yeah. um yeah so i had a few decent successes again i had another i had another top 32 regionals i think that was with lost march at harrogate regionals so that was my i've oh, what? i've lost march yeah <laughs> okay now i'm in that deck was i that deck was so fun and i could never imagine yes. doing well with it so i want to hear that story real quick <laughs> Um, so it was, it was again, kind of, I was trying to, my, my teammates, uh, um, I'll give a, give a big shout out to Team Cake. They've been my testing buddies uh, for ages, uh, very good friends of mine. And um, we kind of, that kind of uh, sort of deck that I, that I referred to earlier, the kind of deck that I do really well with, there's actually, there's a nickname, they literally just call it like a Freya deck in, <laughs> within the team, right? So like before the region, we were trying to think like, what's the Freya deck for Tarragat? And we end up landing on Lost March, yeah, because again, not a top tier archetype, but good enough to still be competitive and do lots of damage. And, you know, it basically is a matter of like, you dodge one or two really dodgy matchups and you have a decent shot to finish well with it. Because um, uh, Charlie Lockyer that year, I remember they got top eight with it at mm-hmm. another regionals, I think. So I thought, yeah, you know, uh, what the hell, I'll go for, I'll go for Lost March. Um, and then 
I can't remember that much of how much, how that tournament went, to be honest, because it, it was kind of I just I remember just playing like a lot of rounds and just doing a lot of lost matches, I guess, <laughs> and then because um, uh, yeah, normally when I think back to tournaments, I think of like one or two really sort of yeah, pivotal moments or exciting games that happened. Like I think of you know twenty sixteen was with like the Frank Diaz game and all that. But I think with um, yeah, Harrogate, I don't really recall anything sort of like stand out other than I remember thinking, oh, it's nice to you know do well, have a cash finish at our regionals again, and uh, to do it with lost match as well was a pretty good feeling. It's always just such good. And one of my friends told me this after my first day too. He was like, now you're just on the hamster wheel where you just earn enough money to pay for the next regional, which is going to earn you enough money to pay for the next regional. <laughs> that's that's the that's the dream, right? <laughs> I mean, it kind of is, though. It feels so good to just be like, all right, well, I got my next plane ticket. We're good to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. How did everything go after that uh, Lost March finish? Um, so basically uh, what happened after that is I kind of, I didn't even go to like any more major tournaments after that. I can't remember because essentially after that, I ended up uh, realizing that that year I wasn't going to go to Worlds because essentially, like, it's always tricky when Worlds is in your plans. It means that your that part of August is always like taken up doing something, right? It means that you can't really spend time doing other things. And mm-hmm. uh, that year, I had made other plans. I was actually going to visit some friends of mine who live in Boston. We're going to go drive up to Pennsylvania together to Pocono to go watch the IndyCar race. Oh, so. Cool. Yeah, um, so that was what I ended up doing that year instead, and uh, end up <laughs> I actually tuned in briefly to the world stream from their place just to uh, cheer on some of my friends and all that, <laughs> and uh, and so yeah, and I I think it was a similar story for 2019. I just kind of didn't really feel the same. I, I was still doing regionals and stuff, but I didn't have that same level of motivation for other, for whatever reason to actually go to worlds because there's just so many other things going on i'm the biggest problem i have is that i'm a person of many interests right i'm mm-hmm. always kind of there you know, pokemon I, I love doing pokemon but i just love traveling generally i love seeing new places uh, i have you know, a lot of friends all over the world like to see them i'm a musician as well i do music stuff so fitting everything in can be a struggle sometimes <laughs> and uh, i guess worlds just fell by the wayside a little bit and then what i planned to do was when i heard that worlds was going to be in london in 2020 i thought okay, I'm going for world to Worlds again this year. I can't not, right? Yeah. You know, this is, it's got to do it. And then we all know how 2020 is. So <laughs> I think I can leave it at that. Yeah, I think there was a lot of people who were kind of on that grind and then suddenly several years happened and they're like, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. And then there's also the flip side of a lot of people who are like, wait, Worlds is in London. I want to do this. But they didn't join until the pandemic and now they're kind of yeah a little bit hanging out honestly even me my situation is a little bit tricky because i i went to the last regional that happened before lockdown which Mm -hmm. was the malmo regionals didn't do too well unfortunately i think i was what was i even playing i can't remember what i was playing that's it i like (laughs) like dropped after like i dropped after not many rounds basically i just uh didn't it wasn't a good day for me um but i only have 100 cp uh, total from like carryover from that period from like a couple of league cup wins i think or like or winning two top twos or top fours or something like that yeah and i'm not sure how many regions i'll be able to go to because yeah, i missed london because of the, i missed Liverpool because of the passport thing i don't know there aren't a crazy amount more in europe there are a few uh, i might be casting one of them i don't know that's uh also there's no stuff up in the air nothing's been like, announced yet but yeah. i know that you know i'd like to you know cast something at least again because there's been ages i've done that too and so that doesn't really considering league cups aren't really a thing right now it doesn't really leave much space to get the extra points i need even though it's only 350 in europe i mean i don't know where those are going to come from which is a 
yeah, kind of leaving me a bit of a bad situation. I'm not really sure how I'm going to take that forward. I guess I could just go as a spectator, uh, but it wouldn't really feel the same. No, it's one of those things. Like Spectating is, for anyone listening to this who wants to go spectate, 100%. I think Worlds is just like such a cool production of everything. Yeah, but absolutely. After competing, I imagine it is a slightly different feeling. But yeah, especially considering how, like, you know, the last time I was at Worlds, I got top 16, right? And I kind of would like to better that if possible, <laughs> but that's just, uh, I can't do that if I'm not even in, in, in contention. I don't blame you at all. It, it'd be such a hard to be like, well, let's just go hang out. And then you see everyone playing. You're like, if it weren't for the pandemic, I would have been here too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. That's, yeah, what can you do? Um, it, it, uh, There's a lot of my pokemon tcg friends too because i have moved to denmark and because of like lockdown stuff i've not seen in a very long time so it would still be lovely to see them either way but mm. we'll have to see what happens i'm i'm a bit gutted about missing out on the euic i think that again it was just because of like how late the dates were announced and i just didn't even like think about it and then with the whole stress of like retching <laughs> with how quickly tickets sold out it sounds like i kind of <laughs> you know um missed out on a bit of stress that way anyhow yeah i know i mean grind i'm in na so my time zone's very different but i remember going scrolling through twitter on a break at work and seeing the tweets of it's already sold out and then continuing scrolling and seeing the tweets of it's live all within the time frame of me being at work it was like oh cool <laughs> oh boy <laughs> so you've been incredibly successful as a player you've got a good testing group around you so one of the things i wanted to talk about like i said was how do you improve as a player how do you prepare for these big events you've already given us some of the mention about like you know playing a deck that you're comfortable with and things like that. But what else goes into beyond just like, I'm going to play Mega Ray because I know how to play Mega Ray or, you know, whatever that so, is. So I think the biggest thing for me comes into, there's almost always no replacement for like good testing, right? Because I think there is a certain amount that you can do, like just with Furying alone because of the nature of how Pokemon is. But the thing is, testing will help come up with those like niche situations that, if they come up in an actual tournament and you don't know what to do, you could very easily fumble and lose a game. But if you've played enough testing games, you'll spot those situations and you'll know exactly what to do. And that could be the difference between making day two or making top eight or not. So there really is no replacement for like testing and also testing against people who you know are you know good enough to mm -hmm. um, to play the opposing decks to the, to the best of their capability as well. And uh, of course, it's always uh, tricky because not everyone can like test with the best players in the world, obviously, because there's a reason why the the best players in the world are where they are but even if you just like practice together and just sort of the you will eventually get better right the more you play test together with your own friends the more you practice together then the better you will get um and and, and to, to that end as well i think just having a really good testing team is just so important because you know ultimately pokemon's a lot more fun when you go to events with friends and when you're seeing friends there and you're hanging out having a good time and that lends itself to the your preparation as well because if you have a good team that you know you can rely on and you can trust then they can give you good advice not just about testing but also about card inclusions for your deck and uh just other you know, advice like that so i think having a good team behind you is super super important so i have a question about testing because this is one that i've heard the definition given by people and they always come up with something a little bit different here and there so what does testing look like for you and your group I think it's safe to say that it's not a matter of like you know grinding out a hundred games with like the same deck to sort of see everything. I know some people will go to that extent and do that, and if you do, fair play to you. You're probably going <laughs> to have a really good result because of it. But testing to me looks more like playing through like the main matchups I expect to face with like the 
with either just one deck or maybe if I'm not sure what I want to play, I might play out like a multitude of decks to see what I'm more leaning towards. And then based on the results of that, you know, come up with a conclusion as to how I want to approach certain matchups and which deck I want to play myself. So yeah, I'm not one of these like grind out a hundred or thousand games of the same deck to um to test that way. But I think doing at least like a good a good number of games with you know multiple decks or like the one deck you want to play maybe against multiple different matchups it's important so that you know how those matchups play out mm-hmm. how are you deciding what those matchups are um so it's a combination of uh mainly just paying attention to the meta game right so you can look at um what previous decks have done well in recent tournaments and i think that's a really good starting point if you're looking a bit further ahead and you, this is maybe it might be like say the first tournament when a new set comes out and there's like new cards then you can maybe either look to Japan if they've had the set for, for a little bit longer and they have some tournament results, or that's a point where it becomes really important to actually play out those games yourself and to build those new decks and to see how they play out, because then that's the unknown quantity, right? And if you have that edge where you've played against that unknown quantity or you've tested it yourself and you know that either how to beat it or that it's the best thing to play, then that's the point where you can get a leverage over a lot of the other competition, right? So I think it definitely depends on how far into like a certain segment of the format when a set comes out we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but having especially yeah knowing the unknown quantity i think makes can make a really really big difference to give you an edge in um that's why some people do really well in new formats right because they're able to crack that early format period super well and have a really great sort of like almost like preemptive understanding of how the meta is actually going to develop just as a quick to throw it into the modern day context that's what happened to me at salt lake city where i was playing a very straightforward like oh this is going to beat what everyone's playing and a bunch of the people at the top tables had turned out to play like, oh, they've been testing against the unknown quantities and they've actually countered them. And right, it turned out yeah. to be like, oh, I'm not prepared for a Zapdos with a Cape of Toughness that my opponent's going right, to play well, down. Like, go, right? I, yeah, exactly. So that's actually yeah. such a huge deal. Uh, how much do Japanese results play? So it is tricky because the their sets come out differently to how ours do, right? So they'll have like a, you know, a major set and then a couple of like mini sets afterwards, whereas we tend to get the sets as like the the two mini sets from that company the last set and then the most recent big set um so they because they get cards in slightly different order to us then sometimes that can make a really big difference to how the results are so you have to always take it with a little bit of a pinch of salt but you can gain some idea of like what the best better archetypes might be still from those so i wouldn't say it's like a be all end all but it's a good jumping off point to then go into like your own testing and to understand okay how is the tcg format going to learn from this and what differences are there based on the differences in card pool between what we have and what japan has how far ahead do you like you said testing against these unknown quantities stuff like that how far ahead do you get like your testing in are you like weeks in advance are you i don't want to say months that's too far but no 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 not not months i think it's fair to say that um back when i was testing i mean right now i'm testing a lot less frequently because there's been like i've not been as big into like the online testing tournament scene so i've not been doing as much but back when you know i was actually testing more often for the in-person events i'd uh we normally have like a few get-togethers um either in person or like on a group call or whatever where we'd uh test a few games online in yeah the sort of the weeks leading up to before and then the um then sort of i think the closer we got then sort of the the more we'd go through and uh as oh, i'm sure everyone does like the, the night before is always like the one where <laughs> like the, the most intense stuff is going on where you're just getting those last few games out just trying to you know, eke out that last bit of sort of knowledge to make sure that you're in the best prepared state for uh, the day after when the tournament starts so that brings up because 
the last couple podcasts we've had some top players on, they always bring up superstitions. And you mentioning that is one of my superstitions. Of, I never touch my deck the day before. I play zero games the night before. Yeah, I, I've done it twice, and both times were the only two regionals I didn't do well in. So I'm like, okay, that's how. But Right, okay. <laughs> you as a player, do you have any superstitions? Okay. See, I'm trying to think now because there was <laughs> definitely one that I had for the longest time and then something happened to counter it and then I kind of lost it and now I don't have any anymore. But I'm just trying to remember what it is. It was something I used to do for like such a long... Oh, what, what on earth was it? That's one of those things that about... I can't even imagine that happening. Just like one of the things that I'm like, this is true. I have to not do this or I have to do this. And suddenly something happens. And you're like, well, I have to change that now. Like that's just against yeah. everything inside of me. <laughs> it was, gosh, what? there was definitely something that I used to be mega superstitious about uh, that I used to like really follow. But then I, I got a counter example of it. And I thought, oh, okay, well, <laughs> I guess that's, that's over then. But I can't remember what it was. Oh, that's so annoying. I'm, I'm really sorry. Like it would have been a really good one to tell, but yeah, there was definitely something. It's like right in the back of my mind that, like, oh, what was it? No, you're good. If it comes no. back, if it comes back to you, just feel free to interject with it again at some point. Yeah, yeah well, we'll do it. We'll do. I'm always a fan of learning what some of the top players superstitions are because we've all got them. And it's so funny how they're just like so different <laughs> for a variety <laughs> of reasons. Yeah, I mean, it will be based on my experiences, right? It makes sense that we see like a certain pattern, we'll latch onto that pattern, even if if you look at things objectively, it doesn't, um, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, actually, okay, I don't think this is necessarily it, um, but um, I was a very early um, advocate for like not pile shuffling. Like, I always thought like if I was like pile shuffling, it would be kind of like that. It was kind of never. A great idea i don't know if i necessarily call that a superstition mm -hmm. but it was one of those things where yeah i never used to pile shuffle and uh for, for a certain time even though i was encouraged to by a few other people um so i guess maybe that but it's not really a superstition in that sort of sense <laughs> no but that's a good one just because i hate pile shuffling so i'm right there you can you can yeah, <laughs> all the anti-pile shuffling propaganda in the world. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, same if um, I, I know normally does this anymore because people are more aware of it right now. But declumping, how was that ever you know considered <laughs> acceptable? Like because declumping, literally at its best, it's a waste of time because if you're shuffling properly, it won't matter. And at its worst, it's literally cheating. So why <laughs> would you ever do it? Seriously, that's I will I, I will go on an anti-declumping crusade any day of the week. <laughs> No, I agree. That's a great way to put it. It's like if you're shuffling, it doesn't matter because it's going to declump itself through shuffling. Yeah. And if you oh, if you're yeah, not shuffling yeah, no, well, like then the, you're cheating. <laughs> no, 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 it's not even so much that. Like the thing is, like if you're shuffling properly, sometimes you'll get clumped cards. Oh, yeah, that's that, just that, how, that's just how it is. Um. Although, wait. Oh, okay. I just remembered what it is. It wasn't so much a superstition, but it's something that was like noticed that this is like somebody else that got coined in a team, which was um I very 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 often used to get poker hands so like you're three of a kind three of plus two like a full house for you know two pairs stuff like that yeah I'm, I'm sure like a lot of people get this but it was something that my teammates noticed a lot and uh that those end up getting called like freya pierce hands where you have like you know this you know you make you make like a poker winning hand out of the multiples of cards you have hey sometimes those are the best hands though <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that is true and and again, also, maybe the fact that I didn't pile shuffle is why I got those so much, because <laughs> I was shuffling properly, and if you're shuffling properly, sometimes you will get those hands, because that is a random possibility, right? I assume you've heard the PTCGO hands thing, right? Where people... Yeah, yeah I have. Yeah. People but always post these screenshots, thing. and yeah, exactly, go for it. You're going to agree with me. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, of course, because it's exactly that point. If a deck is properly, it's almost people don't realize that the PTGO randomizer. It's not that it's terrible; it's that it's almost too good, and they don't realize <laughs> that sometimes if you're reshuffling properly, you will get hands like those every now and then. That's just how it is. Yeah, proper randomization is actually random, which is always uh, yes. <laughs> important to point out. Yeah. Are you a person who believes that, because uh, you mentioned like the declumping, cards stick together. Are you someone who believes full arts stick together when you're shuffling? No, I don't think so. I mean, there might be something to be said about, because obviously the full art cards, they weigh slightly differently. So I don't know if like that factors into it, like in terms of like the physics, but I I think them sticking together, I, I just don't see how that's really possible. Um, the only, like, because think about it, the in terms of like sticking together, the the cards if you're playing with sleeves they're not never in contact with each other right so if cards are sticking together it's probably just because your sleeves are sticky which is getting <laughs> sleeves that's just always one that comes up every once in a while and i'm just like okay sure i don't play full art yeah. so uh sure why yeah, not? yeah i know i i tended to play like um a, a bit of a i'll either play i don't know if you call this necessarily superstition but i always like to play all matching art sometimes i'll play like i really like a sort of a full art of a card sometimes i'll play that um but uh, oftentimes, yeah, I'll just play minimum rarity because I don't really care too much. I, I like the bling, but I mm-hmm. also don't like ruining it by playing with it a lot of the time. That's kind of where I've reached to now. So, uh, yeah, minimum rarity is fine by me. I I agree. I love the bling. I see them. I see people play with them, and I'm like, that's so cool. And then I like if I go to TCG Player or Card Market for EU, you add to cart, and you're just like, oh, yeah, that's really expensive. I don't like it that much. I think this has gotten worse recently as well because uh, it used to be that um, it wasn't too bad to like f- you know, fully fall out a deck, but ever since the pandemic price spikes with like the collectibles surge and all that, I think a lot of especially like, full art supporters have gone way way up. And those are the best ones. But then you look at Marty yeah. being like sixty dollars, and you're like, I can't. I need three of them. Oh. Or, <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> I will. I will say though, I think rainbow rares get a little bit too much hate. I get that some of them look a bit boring, hot. Take. I guess. Yeah, yeah, like, um, I think they're fine. Like, some of them are definitely better than others, but I find it. I guess it it just goes to how how much they're like disliked. Considering a lot of the time the rainbow rare is cheaper than the full art, right? Which seems <laughs> wild to me. But uh, some of them look quite nice. S- some of them, yeah, don't look that great. I know, like, there's generally speaking, there's a lot of people who aren't fans, but mm. I think they're a little bit overhated personally. I was always a fan. The, the example I always pointed out was the Vileplume GX rainbow rare was the best rainbow rare i've ever seen like it looked that one, better yes that, that that one was super pretty yeah honestly a lot of those like tag team gx's that had characters on them looked very good in rainbow rare actually i remember the rest ram and zekrom along with looked pretty nice too yeah there's i don't there there's a lot of good art in the tcg <laughs> they've really oh, yeah, stepped it up so i want to go back to real quick you mentioned a lot of testing the night before what yes. what is your normal like Friday before a regional look like? When are you arriving? How much are you testing? How much are you playing? How much are you just goofing off with friends? Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's to help and make sure everything right because although yeah, testing the night before is good to iron out like, the last few you know kinks in your deck list or whatever. It's also important to yeah not overstress yourself. So I think that's when if you're overstressing the night before and you lose confidence in your deck choice that's what i think leads to those you know the next day where you just tested the night before and suddenly you're doing really badly i think it's um it's good to just yeah kind of sort out the last few things but then generally speaking it's important to relax have a good time as well so usually we'll get there i think most of the time when i when i remember i'd fly to wherever it was straight after work or take the train if it was like a uk uh event and mm-hmm. then yeah we just go to the hotel meet up with friends get dinner together and then just you know 
play some games before we all went to bed kind of thing and uh try not to go to bed too late because obviously having being well rested is important um but also no we wanted to make, wanted to make sure we get those good last few games in before we go to sleep uh, so I, I say like a healthy mix and then unfortunately the downside of not being live on twitch is we don't have the questions from twitch chat but one that's come up oh, a handful yeah. of times is and ever since so we had natalie miller on before she won the brisbane regionals and okay. she said one of her superstitions was she has to eat banana bread before a regional and ever since then chat has always wanted to ask people who are on what are you eating the saturday for breakfast oh uh I mean, for me, it's usually just whatever's at the hotel. <laughs> I'm honest, I, don't, I don't have like a specific uh, go-to. I guess I try not to eat too heavy. I guess that'd be like one thing. But it's also because you don't know necessarily if you're going to get time to eat during the day. It's also important to make sure you have like a good breakfast, right? So just like something, something that isn't too heavy, but that will keep you, you know, sustained for until you have a chance to get something else at the event. What does a hotel breakfast look like in Europe? I am curious if it's different. Same. So usually it's like some kind of continental breakfast offering, right? They have the usual like you know bacon and eggs and stuff, and then they'll have like a stack of different cereals and uh, usually some kind of pastries, right? Especially if you go to like you know France or whatever, there'll be all sorts of like different uh, pastries there, and it'll be very nice. Or Belgium and uh, in in Germany, you get like a lot of uh, cheese and different kinds of like you know cold cuts as well. That's a big thing in German hotels, I've noticed, unsurprisingly. That sounds um, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So yeah. You get like a nice. It, it really because obviously cuisines in Europe vary a lot from country to country. It varies a lot depending on what, what country you're in. There's not like one Europe-wide sort of uh, continental breakfast. Although in most places you'll find yeah like juice and cereal and some kind of you know bready things or pastries of some kind. Okay, so about the same move as here. It sounds like with the exception That's of some some, yeah, some, like some regional variants. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. Because you'll never find cheese and cold cuts. At least I don't think so. If if anyone knows any place in the U.S. that does that, let me know. <laughs> uh, what are so? Is there anything else? I guess that, as far as like improving as a player, you talked a lot about prep. But what about like any in-game stuff, or is it just like by the time you're in the game, you should know everything because you've practiced it so much? Um, I think that, and this is something that has been said to me by one of my teammates. So this is something advice I really took to heart is that, um that I do best when I'm focused, and it's a bit tricky because that's not always an easy state to like achieve kind of intentionally right it's kind of always like when you're in the zone kind of thing and you're almost not not quite working on autopilot but you're so like zoned in on what you're doing that you're you're extra focused and like nothing around you is attracting you and you're just like playing the, your deck the best you can so if you can like find a way to get yourself to that relaxed like sort of zoned in state where you're mega focused on the game and what's happening then that's really important especially because and this is getting onto like a slightly more like unfortunate uh, side of it i guess but if you're that zoned in it is a lot easier to spot if your opponent tries to do something dodgy as well like um even if it's not on purpose like i again i call back to the example from 2016 worlds i have no idea how i was able to spot that mm -hmm. you know frank diaz had drawn seven up to seven with the shaman instead of six but like i was so zoned in on the game at that point that again when he played that because i think it was a second more actually not juniper but when he played that and discarded his hand and he just he kind of did it in a way where he fanned his hand out slightly over the discard pile I just could. I just saw that. And I thought that looks like a bit more than six cards. That looks like a bit a few too many cards. And then we called the judge over, and I was right. So if I hadn't been zoned in and like mega focused on what was happening during that time, I would never have spotted that. So if it, it won't be always be the case that you do that to spot someone making a mistake like that that ends up getting a prize penalty. But it is very important to be like super super vigilant to spot anything that could be happening either that your opponent's doing or to make sure that you're doing your own plays correctly. So that's, I guess, the main bit of an in-game advice I'd give. 
That's actually a really huge one because I'm going to go on to, again, the current format. The biggest one I see all the time is Scoop Up Net and the Inteleon engine. And people forgetting, oh, did I play that Sobble down this turn or did I not play it down this turn? Did I rebench it? Right. And it's like, it's usually not malicious. It's just I forgot and I'm pretty sure I didn't. But if you're paying attention, you're hyper focused on the game. You can remember back to, oh, no, 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 you put that Sobble down this turn or, oh, no, you didn't put that Sobble down to this turn. So that's yeah. just, I don't know, that's, that just feels like a really good advice of, like, just pay attention to what's going on. Yeah, and kind of um, an anecdote to tie into that. I remember, so, obviously being in the UK and living in London before I moved to Denmark, um, I talked to Sammy Sakum a fair few times. Like, he's, um, he has his own, he owns his own game store in London now. He's, like, less involved in competitive play, but, you know, obviously he still is familiar with the game and stuff. And one of the thing, biggest takeaways that I know to him as a player is that he has that ability to focus in so much he knows what's in your discard pile without even needing to look at it. Like that's the level he's gotten to. Like you know, he will. So he will know if you, yeah, uh, if you've been for like a whole game and you go to a game two, and then because uh, at the time I think he was talking about a match he was playing in the SP format, and when you had that card Power Spray that you can discard during your opponent's turn to stop a poker power, right? And and at one point he, he his opponent he he did like a power, and his opponent was like umming and ahhing as if thinking about a Power Spray, and Samuel was like, no, you've played for all of them already. And like he just knew, he just knew straight away. And like I think the opponent was like so caught out by that that yeah, he just he couldn't believe it. But that's if you get to that sort of level with like really sort of taking a very deep focus and seeing what your opponent has, then that can just pay dividends with you know being able to do something like that. Yeah, because an action like that is actually such a good example of like you can always look at your opponent's discard pile whenever you want, but that takes time to do does, and if yeah. you just know it you're saving that extra little bit of time which when you count you know multiple times in a game suddenly adds up to you get an extra turn which yeah i'm sure you've lost plenty of games or tied plenty of games just because you're like oh if i had one more turn so actually i'm really glad you mentioned this because it leads me on to something i completely forgot to talk about um i don't tie too many games like i do i do it occasionally but that's actually another reason why i favor the kind of decks i do i prefer to win or lose quickly because in regional circumstances, you are what, 50 minutes best of three. You know for a fact that's not enough time to play out a full three games. So if you if you play a deck that wins or loses quickly, and you also like know when to concede early, that if you're, like, you're going to lose, then you know for a fact you're going to actually see every game through to completion. And that puts you in a much better stead um, to later on. So that's actually something that I've incorporated a lot into my playing philosophy as well. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's actually something that's really important to me, but I just didn't even think to mention it until now until you've said that. No, and that's a huge one. Just being able to be like, mm, I'm going to scoop this game. And then yes. suddenly a win instead of a tie is massive. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you like lose quickly, obviously it's not ideal, right? But it still means that say, if you just lose one game quickly, then you might have time for a game free and to finish that out. And, uh, Maybe it means you get if you lose the match, maybe you get a slightly easier opponent next round. I know it's still not ideal; you'd rather win, but you know it is just generally speaking. I think it's much better to win or lose than it is to like play something to the point slowly enough to the point where you just end up tying every game. Yeah, you're not the first person to say that, but I think the more people that say that is the better, right? Because <laughs> yeah. hearing it once doesn't really matter because people are like, "Oh, pre Salt Lake City, yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, the person saying that, but now Indies coming up, EUICs coming up, and the more people that are like. Learn to scoop. <laughs> Learn yeah. to know when yeah. to and pack it up. For me as well, I take this to what some people might call like a little bit of an extreme in the sense that I think I'm one of the few 
players who's like done that well i guess i don't make a habit of like checking my prizes super intensely mm-hmm. so i don't speak i have like might have like a quick glance to check for like really important stuff at the beginning of the game but again if you're trying to like determine what every single card that you have prizes every single game that is so much time that you're losing and you just don't have that time in like your know, best of three best of three fifty minutes you just don't so I think that's something that's during the worlds, especially where performance is there, because I didn't have too many ties. That's something that helped me a lot too. That's also like super great advice. Like you don't have to know all six of your prizes. You just have to know, are my tech cards prized? Did I prize yeah. all of my, what is it? Mega rays. Did I prize, you yeah. know, like what number of double colorless energy, you know, like these important cards as opposed to, Oh, did I prize my ultra balls? Like that, that's probably not the biggest of deals. No, no, it's not. <laughs> So is there anything else you'd like to say about um, improving as a player yourself? Anything else about the game? Well, um, I, I don't know how much extra time we have, but I don't know if you wanted to as much yeah, as you'd talk like. about my um uh, I don't know if you wanted to talk about my time as a caster as well, because Ooh. obviously that's something that we've been a part of for like a good few years now. So but I wasn't yeah. sure if we were allowed to. Yes, I'd love to talk about your time as a caster. Okay. I mean, you know, if there's anything if there's anything I'm not allowed to talk about, I'll just say like, but generally speaking, I can talk about my general experiences and such. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, of course. So how did you get in? Like, how did you get contacted to become a caster? So um, back in 2016, uh, there was uh, the, the, that was when the first sort of uh, European streams were starting up. Um, I remember in 2015, UK Nationals streamed it unofficially and Ross Gilbert did that. Obviously, everyone knows Pete's CG Radio, <laughs> a very, 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 very well-known quantity in the community um, and a good friend of mine for a long time. Uh, he um he basically did the stream for 2015 nationals all by himself it was like again an unofficial stream so and he'd been gunning for that for a while and been like pushing very very hard so at this point there had been us streams for a while and i think t- at this point tpci were looking to do some in europe as well and very it's very obvious that ross is going to be the first port of call right and he I did one of the top cut games to 2015 nationals on stream because I think it got like a few guest commentators on for yeah the top cut essentially and at this point I was already out of uh, nationals I didn't make, I didn't make it to top eight um, and I had some experience doing un- unofficial streams before so Ross knew essentially that I would be one of the people in the UK who might be like a good go to to do this and so when as far as I'm aware when he was approached he recommended me and Joe essentially joe bernard because again he knew that we'd be able to like do do a good job and then i was approached after that for a, a, a couple of interviews essentially and then off the back of that we i was uh, asked to be a part of yeah the nationals live streams for 2016 uk nationals german nationals and italian nationals and i guess off of the back of that i was i impressed enough to be asked back for then that year, years and the next season's uh, european international championships and so on and so forth when they're sending you out to places like they're sending you to Italy, for example, are they coming up with all the and this might be a you can't say, but are they coming up with all the travel plans and stuff like that? Or it's like we're going to reimburse you or like, is it on your own dime? No, so, so I'm not sure. I made, yeah, I'm not sure I made much. Detail I, can, I can like go into, but there, there is compensation. I can put it like that. So, yeah, we're not we're not just having to do it on our own dime. OK, that's always been one of the things I've wondered, because like, that's like a lot of yeah. flight, but also Pokemon has to do a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. so yeah when you are official when you are casting do you get like is there like practice stuff are they doing review or are they just like you do a couple interviews and you're like yeah you're good go for it uh, so so we usually yeah, run through like a few rehearsals and and stuff just make sure like the 
like other live setups are all fine and just you know, running through audio and, and all that and so yeah we might do like a few rehearsals on like the first day for example or the friday whenever whenever the day before the tournament starts right and then and then yeah we usually have like a schedule for you know, who's going to cast each round and then we just uh if we just follow that through it's nothing it's nothing so like crazy secret or anything like that it's pretty much similar to how any other you know, live broadcast would go for this sort of thing <laughs> Do you ever feel like when you're doing this, you're like, oh, I know that there's going to be thousands of people watching this between the live stream and uploaded to YouTube later? Are you just like, I'm in the zone? Like, how do you approach that part? So for that part specifically, I think going to the first round, and this is something, but like for the first ever stream as a part of uh, Puka, uh, Kyle Sukovic was there as well. That was at the UK Nationals. And he expressed the feeling that I think I kind of got as well, where right before like the first round starts, when or whenever the first round of casting starts, you kind of sat there and you're waiting for the you know the queue in to go live and you then you realize how many people talk to you and you might go uh oh but but then <laughs> you but then you're you're there you're chatting with someone that you're you know well that you're familiar with and you're just, you're just talking about pokemon cards and then you just kind of like forget that there's so many people watching <laughs> until you miss something like really really important and you end up making a fool out of yourself at that point you you're very well aware of how many people are watching how did the chatting go? Because this is something doing unofficial streams that I've struggled with because like I'll have a co-caster with me and we end up chatting about things that are slightly off topic to the game. How do you avoid doing that? Um, so there's a couple of strategies you can use, right? Because some, you know, off game chatter isn't always the end of the world, especially if there's not much going on. It adds color, it adds character, it can add like a little bit of fun. Um, but I think the important thing is to just make sure that even while it's happening, you're looking at the game, seeing what happens, and make sure that if an important moment happens, you call it out, and then that will steer the conversation naturally back to a point where you're talking about the game. Ooh, so I guess on the flip side, how do you fill that time? So let's use Mew as an example. Mew's yeah. first turn literally takes about five minutes, and it's always the same thing. They're going to put some Genesex <laughs> down, and they're going to draw a bunch of cards. How do you fill that time and make that time entertaining if yeah. you were to do a Mew game? So for like those kinds of decks generally there's like a couple of different strategies you can employ you can talk about the deck's general strategy if it's early on in the day you've not talked about that yet explaining why they're doing what they're doing and sort of talk about how that makes the deck very strong um you can also maybe take the time if it's later on then you want to avoid doing that explanation again you can talk about what else is doing well in the tournament you can talk about uh you know other top players how well they're doing um you can talk about you know the matchup as a whole or you talk about how you know other matchups um they're going on there's there's always plenty you can like fill the time with essentially to avoid it just the uh, focusing on yep he's playing down genesex it's gonna use it use it's gonna <laughs> use fusion strike systems gonna draw some cards gonna attach a double turbo energy like you don't have to do it there's always like something to talk about to like skirt around that or to to you know make it more interesting be it that i'm just talking generally about like the, the deck strength itself or things that are going on in the rest of the tournament or we can even talk about you know okay so this this uh this guy's had this amazing setup how's the opponent going to counter this and you know that might change depending on what that deck they're playing so yeah there's always something to talk about basically and then one of the things and this is true of now i assume it was true back then too eu comes up with some of the most interesting decks or interesting tech cards in the world compared to the rest of the regions so how does casting those events and you see this deck that you aren't expecting or tech cards you weren't expecting how do you react how do you know what to mention in there like how does that go well we 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 have the same surprise as everyone else right so we you know we'll talk about because we'll, we'll usually be able to like see the deck lists like during the tournament because we have, have them like queued up and then we might look at and say oh my goodness here this is like so out there like and we'll I have the same surprise as everyone else right and we'll be there trying to figure, trying to figure out you know oh wow i can really see what's going for here or like oh this seems very interesting i wonder how this is going to play out and we'll talk about it with the same curiosity and hype that anyone else would because we're kind of doing that discovery as well what was the like 
Well, maybe that's more than one, but what's an example of one that's just like caught you off guard or you're like, oh, wait, that's actually quite oh. clever. Oh, that's a very good question. That's one that uh, I probably should have actually given you before <laughs> we got the pot. Yeah, possibly. Uh, you know, that's really tricky. I think there's been like a few examples of those, but I'm trying to think of like um, any like one specifically where, uh, where I've been casting. Um, is there anyone that really massively took me by surprise? Um, I'm sure I, I'm struggling to pick up an example right now, but there definitely have been a few instances of exactly that where we're just like, you're so hyped to commentate on something. There's also been a few where we've seen something hype, but it's not done well enough to like get on the stream. And then it's like, you know, a little <laughs> bit sad because um, we, we might be like following along and hoping it gets to that point, but then it, it doesn't. So there's definitely been a few instances of that as well. But uh, uh, yeah, there's definitely been a few instances where we've like had that surprise, I guess. Do you have a most memorable moment that like sticks out to you when you're thinking like, I'm an official cat. You, you got this one. It, Easy, easy, easy. The Latin American International Championship Finals: uh, Diego Hafshi versus Azul Garcia Griego. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Have you seen that one? I did see yeah. that one. It's <laughs> like a rock. <laughs> <laughs> that was. Uh, and for anyone listening who has not seen that game, you should just go back and rewatch the finals. It's it's very good. <laughs> it, it was, and what I especially loved about that finals. I mean, there was the, you know, that one moment where I, like I literally could not contain myself and had to like scream that from the top of my lungs, but um. In the build-up to the hype, there are no fans like Brazilian fans. I know this as a Brazilian myself, right? Brazilians just get we just get hype about stuff, <laughs> and like you know the the chance in the crowd like supporting Diego because obviously he's a Brazilian in the finals. It was um like we did the whole you know oh if you want Diego to win make some noise and like you know we had like as all supporters versus the the Diego supporters and it was uh, those going back and forth and it was so so hype honestly <laughs> that that whole finals was by far the one of the most awesome like casting experiences i've been a part of and jeremy jallen was great as well i, I love that guy to bits he's a bit of always been like a great person to co-commentate with and uh very much enjoy being on the desk with him i love it i love hearing those stories it's one of those things that like you get chills when you just like relive those moments of like oh yeah that was actually really high that was like yeah that was super new for me i pretty sure that was one of the first ICs i've ever watched when i was getting into the game and I remember well, being well, like, yeah, you're talking about, cool. I, yeah, I remember at the time, like, Buzzwell Lycanroc was saying, well, that was literally a Buzzwell Lycanroc mirror in the final, so. Which is one of those matchups that I learned later is actually super cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, honestly. Because like, I think people at the time thought of Buzzwell Lycanroc as, like, the brain-dead brain deck of the format. But honestly, mm -hmm. I don't think that's really fair. There was, like, a lot that went into that deck still. And obviously, the reason why it was strong, because it just had a favorite match against Zoroark, which was kind of the best deck on paper, and... Uh, it was, uh, yeah, very strong for that reason. And I think it kind of took the LAIC by storm. So I've got to ask a question of you because we asked this of Joe when he was on too. Would you rather okay. win Worlds or cast the final of Worlds? Oh, oh no, you can't, <laughs> no, you can't do this. To, no, you can't do this to me. Oh, oh my I goodness. Mean, I mean, you can um, do neither if you prefer, I guess. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Um, uh, I, I think it would rather be winning Worlds because... And I think, and it's for one pure reason, I feel a lot more self-confident in my casting abilities than I do my playing abilities, honestly. Um, I, I know I can cast well. Like, you know, I've, I feel like I've done it before, and it really, I feel like it really comes naturally to me. I don't feel the same when I'm playing. Like, I know I'm good, and we're good enough to at least say a top 16 world. You know, that's, I know that's not nothing, but I still feel like I'm constantly like, in doubt on my abilities as a player. So getting to the point where if I were to actually win worlds, that would be ultimate validation, I guess, that I actually deserve to be considered like a, a good play, a good or top player. So I think from on that perspective alone, I think I would rather yeah yeah win worlds. And then last thing, because we've never actually talked to anyone about casting officially, even though I have asked that question before. Uh, mm -hmm. 
Anyone who's listened to this who's interested in potentially becoming a caster at any point, what are some tips you have? Just some general stuff. I think, and this is very self-evident if you see the examples of, we were talking about this before we started, of like um, Ethan Heggie and Chip Ritchie. Mm -hmm. You just, you got to get your name out there. You know, if you're an active content creator doing a lot of stuff that, you know, posting on Twitter, doing a lot of videos, hosting tournaments like Ethan did, I, it's, if you're doing all that, you, you know you will get noticed eventually um you're doing a lot of unofficial live streams as well and uh people and there's examples of your casting that you can sort of show and demonstrate that you're really an active force in the community that way i think that plays huge dividends in you being eventually noticed potentially by tbci and then being asked to cast an event perfect and then to close us out do you have any content that you'd like people to find you at um yeah sure so um i've I have a YouTube channel, um, which is uh, at uh, Xanatu VPR. I haven't posted a huge amount there recently, apart from like just the other day, I actually posted a um, a review of um, the uh, time time space and time gazer and space juggler. Um, I'm not sure if I got that the right way around. I think I did. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm gonna start doing like a few videos uh, again on that channel. So yeah, that you find me there at uh, Xanatu VPR. I can I can send you a link afterwards if you if you um if you want that. Ooh, please. Um, I'll then, put it in the description uh, yeah. box. Oh, awesome. And then uh, same handle on Twitter as well, Xanatu VPR in there, and I tweet stuff occasionally. <laughs> so uh, those are the main two places you find me, like Pokemon content wise. Awesome, and that will also be in the description box. And of course, myself, you can find me on Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Mellow underscore Magikarp. And this has been another episode of the Lake of Rage podcast. We'll catch you all next week.